Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. Before we begin, a reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what is right for you. Any general tax information is provided as a guide only. With that out of the way, here's Shane. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Oliver's Insights podcast, where we're going to have a look at the impact of investor psychology, not just its impact on the investment cycle, but also on the impact of us as investors. Up until the 1980s, the dominant theory was that financial markets were efficient. In other words, all relevant information, whether it's regarding interest rates, profits, and so on, was reflected in asset prices in a rational manner. Of course, when we had the 1987 crash, I think that drove a bit of a nail into this theory that investment markets were always efficient, or the so-called efficient market hypothesis, as it was then called. Because it's very hard to explain why US shares fell 30% and Australian shares fell 50% in a two-month period, when there is very little in the way of new information to justify such a move. It's also hard to explain the 80% slump, for example, in the NASDAQ index between the year 2000 and 2002 on the basis of fundamentals. Or even if you can say it was just a return to fundamentals, how did they get so high in the first place? Study after study has shown that it's very hard to explain share market volatility on the basis of fundamentals. In fact, you can't justify it. Something else is clearly at play, and that something is investor psychology. Several aspects of investor psychology interact, basically, in helping drive bull and bear phases in investment markets, including individual lapses of logic and crowd psychology. Bottom line is that, apart from you and me, people are not always rational and tend to suffer from various lapses of logic. The most significant examples are as follows. People tend to extrapolate the present into the future. For example, if the recent period has been positive in financial markets, they will assume that will continue. They tend to give more weight to recent spectacular or personal experiences. If they've just made a lot of money on cryptocurrencies, for example, they then get emotional attached to that. And once a bubble gets underway, investors' emotional commitment to it means that it can often continue steadily for some time to come, helping to perpetuate it. People tend to be overconfident particularly males, uh, some of the studies indicate, in their own investment abilities. They're often too slow in adjusting expectations. There's a phenomenon called anchoring, whereas the most recent piece of information you come across or the first piece of information you come across is seen as the norm. But basically, people are a bit too slow in adjusting expectations to new information. And that partly explains why bubbles and crashes normally unfold over long periods of time as people gradually adjust to the new information. They tend to be selective in their use of information. People tend to ignore information that conflicts with their own view. In other words, they suffer from what is often referred to as a confirmation bias. This again helps to explain why bubbles can perpetuate once people buy into them. Even if there's adverse information with respect to what asset prices are doing, they tend to keep buying in any way because it's their primary view and they give more weight to information which is positive in supporting that view. There's also a degree of wishful thinking. People tend to require less information to predict a desirable event than an undesirable one. And finally, people suffer from something called myopic loss aversion. In other words, they tend to dislike losing money more than they like gaining it. Various experiments, in fact, have found that the potential gain must be twice the potential loss before an investor will consider accepting the risk. Now, of course, it's not just individual lapses of logic that are relevant here, but also the madness of crowds. And the two tend to operate together 
and reinforce each other. Collective behaviour, that is where people act as a bit of a herd, requires the presence of several things. Firstly, it requires a means by which behaviour can be contagious. Mass communication, the proliferation of electronic media are perfect examples of this. And of course, that's gone into overdrive with social media. More than ever, investors are drawing their information from the same sources, which in turn results in ever-increasing correlation of views amongst investors, thus reinforcing trends. We used to think, say, 20 years ago, everyone was looking to a Bloomberg screen, or at least in the wholesale investment markets. Now, of course, retail investors are also doing the same via social media to some degree, and that tends to reinforce trends. There's a pressure for conformity. Interaction with friends, monthly performance comparisons, industry standards, benchmarking can all result in herding amongst investors. In other words, where all those investors take similar views. A precipitating event or displacement. This, I think, is the third factor which is necessary for some degree of collective behaviour to give rise in investment markets. The IT revolution of the late 1990s was a classic example. The growth in China of the 2000s was another classic example. And of course, more recently, the growth of cryptocurrencies and the promise of decentralised finance and digital currencies going forward that that offers. Going in the opposite direction, the demise of Lehman Brothers and some of the problems that some of the cryptocurrencies have been having more recently, particularly crypto markets, are all displacements on the negative side. And the final point, I guess, is that you really need to have a general belief which grows and spreads. For example, that share markets can only go up or that cryptocurrencies can only go up. That tends to reinforce the trend set off by the initial displacement. So this results in a phenomenon called bubbles and busts in investment markets. The combination of lapses of logic magnified by crowd psychology goes a long way to explaining why speculative surges in asset prices developed, usually after some good news, and how they feed on themselves as individuals project recent price gains into the future, exercise wishful thinking and get positive feedback via the media, their friends, etc. Of course, the whole process goes in reverse once buying is exhausted, often triggered by contrary news, to that which drove the rise initially. Investment psychology through the market cycle looked like what Russell Investments many, many years ago called the roller coaster of investor emotion. When times are good, investors move from optimism to excitement, eventually to euphoria. As an investment's price, whether it's shares, housing, gold, cryptos, whatever, moves higher and higher. So by the time the market tops out, investors as a group are maximum bullish and fully invested, often with no one left to buy. This sets the scene for a bit of bad news to come along and push prices lower. The selling intensifies and prices fall further. Investor emotion goes from anxiety to depression, eventually to capitulation and depression. So we go through that phase, and which can ultimately culminate in that sense of depression at the bottom of the market. By the time the market bottoms out, investors are maximum bearish and many are out of the market. This then sets the scene for the market to bottom as it only requires a bit of good news or less bad news to bring back buying and then the cycle repeats. This pattern has been repeated time and time again over the years. In the early to mid 1990s with emerging markets, the late 90s tech boom, the late 2000s with the focus on credit, housing in the US and so on. There's a bunch of points to note in relation to all of this. Firstly, confidence and investor psychology do not act in a vacuum. The move from depression at the bottom of a cycle to euphoria at the top is usually underpinned initially, at least by some fundamental development, such as strong economic growth and easy money. Secondly, at market extremes, confidence is best read in a contrarian fashion. Major bull markets do not start when investors are feeling euphoric and everyone is upbeat. 
major bear markets do not start when they are depressed. So extreme low points in confidence are often associated with market bottoms and vice versa for extreme highs. Thirdly, ideally, one needs to look at what investors are thinking, in other words, sentiment, but also one needs to look at what they're actually doing, in other words, their positioning. Everyone might be feeling happy, but if they're not fully invested, we may not be at the top yet, and vice versa at the bottom, everyone may be feeling very depressed, but if they haven't all sold yet, we could still have more downside. Finally, negative crowd sentiment at market bottoms can tend to be associated fairly quickly with market bottoms, reflecting the steep declines associated with panics as markets fall. But during bull markets, positive sentiment or even euphoria can tend to persist for a while as it takes investors longer to build exposure to assets than to sell them. And so it can tend to be the case that extreme negative sentiment can be relatively quickly showing up in a market bottom, whereas extreme positive sentiment can take a while longer to show up as a major market top. So I guess the question is, where are we now in relation to shares? Currently, the high levels of optimism that were seen last year and associated with the surge in share markets into last year are long gone. If you look at a whole bunch of sentiment surveys, uh, confidence amongst newsletter writers in the US, uh, the ratio of puts to calls and so on, they suggest that that extreme optimism of a year ago has long vanished. And earlier this year, we were seeing extreme pessimism and that continued until recently. Now, you could argue, though, that as markets have rebounded, that was partly fueled by the extreme negative sentiment we were seeing in June. And that left more buyers inclined to come into the market than sell. Now we're at a point where on a bunch of sentiment indicators that we look at, we're sort of around the midpoint. It's not giving a strong read either way. Now, of course, in times of bear markets, that can mean you could then have another setback before the market gets into extreme bullish territory. Alternatively, it could mean that there's still more upside. But right now, investor sentiment in relation to shares is not giving a particularly strong signal either way. So I guess what does all this mean for investors? Firstly, I think the key is to recognise that investment markets are not only driven by fundamentals, but also by the often irrational and erratic behaviour of an unstable crowd of investors. The key here is to be aware of past market booms and busts so that when they arise in the future, you understand them and do not overreact. Secondly, try and recognise your own emotional responses. For example, you could ask yourself, am I highly affected by recent market developments? Am I too confident in my expectations? Can I bear a paper loss? Thirdly, to guard against emotional responses, choose an investment strategy which can withstand inevitable crises, in other words, setbacks, whilst remaining consistent with your financial objectives and risk tolerance. Then stick to that even when surging prices tempt you into a more aggressive approach, and also when plunging values tempt you into a more defensive approach. Finally, if you are tempted to trade shares on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis, Try and do so on a contrarian basis. Buy when the crowd is bearish, sell when it is bullish. Of course, this is never simple and it does require a lot of experience and some process that gives you that guidance as to where exactly the sentiment is. But also recognize that contrarian investing is not foolproof. Just because the crowd looks irrationally bullish or bearish doesn't mean it can't get more so. I hope that's been of some value and has given you some insights into the world of investor psychology and the role it plays in driving bull and bear phases in investment markets and also its impact on us as investors. Until we meet again, adios. Now to stay up to date from Dr. Oliver and the Simplifying Investing podcast series more broadly, be sure to subscribe on your favourite streaming platform. 
That way, you'll never miss an episode. We'll be back soon, but before we go, a quick reminder that all topics discussed today are general in nature and haven't taken your personal circumstances into account. It's important you consider taking tailored financial advice that is relevant to your own situation before making any important financial decisions. Thank you.